0: Today's episode of Help Me Teach the Bible was recorded in 2016. You can find episodes on every book of the Bible, along with topical conversations on Bible teaching, at tgc.org podcasts.
1: The important thing about a teacher is that he's showing progress, not that he's arrived. If I had to arrive, I would never be able to teach the Bible.
0: Isn't that the truth? None of yeah. us would ever ah, teach if we had to have had it right. all figured but out. But
1: if I can say, look, I didn't understand this word, but next week, but, you know, last week I didn't understand, it, but now I've I understood it. Mm. That encourages students to say, oh, well, I'll keep going. I might understand more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, okay, I've got the last word, this is what it is all the time, then people say, oh, well, I won't read the Bible, I'll just go and ask him.
0: Welcome to Help Me Teach the Bible. I'm Nancy Guthrie, and I have the privilege today of sitting in the offices of Two Ways Ministries, which is really the offices of Philip Jensen. Now... I'm a real long way away from home. <laughs> David and I have traveled to Australia, and so I'm in the heart of Sydney at Moore Theological College, where center to- of the universe. Is this the center of the yeah. universe? I didn't know. Oh, well, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I get to talk today with Philip Jensen. Uh, if you have never heard Philip Jensen teach or preach. Uh, When you go to the Gospel Coalition website for this podcast, you'll find some links to his teaching and preaching. And... I've done a lot of driving in the car, listening to Philip Jensen teach and preach, and really gained from it. So before we start, we're going to talk about the book of First Timothy with Philip Jensen. But before we get there, Philip, will you help us get to know you a little bit? Because sure. there's nobody in Sydney who doesn't know who Philip Jensen is, but perhaps some of my listeners might not. Mm-hmm. So um, I understand you came to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. Yeah, Yeah. in Sydney in 1959.
1: That's right. Um, uh, At the end of our Sunday school, for us, Sunday school means children, children's program. They just all marched us up. In those days, you just went in the group, whatever happened, they just, and we were all just kids. Everyone in the suburb went to Sunday school, except the Jews, they went to Saturday school. And uh you know, the end of uh, that, they just took us to the Billy Graham. I had no idea who Billy Graham was, what a crusade was, or anything, really. But I was 14. Just at that stage of life, where you start making your own decisions for yourself. And uh, for the first time, I heard that you actually had to become a Christian. Sorry, yeah. I knew I was a Christian, because mm-hmm. I wasn't Jewish. <laughs> then suddenly, I started seeing people who also weren't Jewish becoming Christians. <laughs> so... I love Billy Graham, and I admire and thankful to God for all that he's done for us, but frankly, it wasn't actually what he said. <laughs> <laughs> it was the process of awakening to the idea that it was something that you actually had to commit for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I did, straight away.
0: Yeah. He walked forward? Yep. Yeah.
1: I saw my brother go forward, and I knew he wasn't yeah. Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> so I then thought, well, maybe it's criminals and alcoholics, and... He wasn't either of those things, so if he needed it, I needed it. Mm. So I went out and told the counsellor I came down the front because my brother did, so he sent me away. Oh. But he didn't understand, because I couldn't explain it, not his fault, the mental processes that were happening at that point, namely if he needs it, then I need it. This is not just an inheritance from our parents. This is something you have to decide and be committed to yourself. Mm. That's what the crusade did for me. In some ways... uh, it, it was developmental. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It came just at the right point in my life as a 14-year-old.
0: So we're here at Moore Theological College. Now, I have tracked with Moore Theological College for a while now, really because it's been a place where I have discovered um, so many people who teach, with, who teach biblical theology, from whom i've learned a great deal about seeing christ through all the scriptures i think of that as a real distinctive of more theological college what what would you say to someone who's never known anything about this college
1: yes it is a distinctive of the college and of sydney bible teaching uh, and has been for uh, all of my life basically um i didn't know it was a distinctive when i grew up in sydney uh, especially in the period of time we didn't travel that much you just went to your local theological college. It was when I started going outside Sydney that I realised this was distinct. It was, And so I was raised on the idea of understanding Christ in all the scriptures and of seeing how the whole Bible all holds together, how the Old Testament line all holds together. So it was normal to me. And I found it a little mystifying to find great Bible teachers and great men and women of God outside of Sydney who had never thought about it. It wasn't that they disagreed. They just never thought about what I'd been trained was obvious.
0: So you attended here from yep. 67 to 70. If you say so. It's
1: a long <laughs> time ago. I can't <laughs> remember that long. Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: right. And did you immediately leave from here to go into pastoral work? Yes,
1: yes. I was. I came here to do that. Uh, I I just spent four years over at Sydney University which is just across the road from here and then I spent the four years here with the intention of going into pastoral work uh, or going to missionary work one or the other but I was going to start off doing pastoral work before I became an overseas missionary and so I spent two happy years out at a a fabulous beachside suburb called Manly um, where there was a great evangelical church right there in the middle of the a uh, beachside suburb, and then spent two years as a, an itinerant evangelist with a man called John Chapman, who, was a, who passed and is in glory with the Lord now, but who was a, uh, a considerably larger-than-life Australian personality and a great Bible teacher. Um, and I did that for a couple of years, during which time I discovered that itinerant Evangelistic ministry is not really for a family man, because mm. um, I was just we were just having kids then, mm. and also I discovered that I enjoyed longer term relationships than constant meeting of new people in every context. Mm. Chapo was brilliant at doing it. He would walk into a room and dominate the room immediately. I'd walk in the room and feel terribly shy.
0: Mm. <laughs> Do you still?
1: Oh yes, I'm shy. Yes, like that.
0: I imagine a lot of people in the States, if they're not familiar with Moore College, maybe maybe not even your name, but they might be familiar with Matthias Media.
1: We couldn't get anybody overseas to publish Australian authors. Mm-hmm. The English uh, couldn't believe that anyone from the Antipodean uh, colonies uh, would have anything worth publishing, mm. and so uh, only a couple like Leon Morris, who had lived in England for a while, actually got to be published, and uh, uh, the Americans would only publish us if we went on preaching tours and made money selling lots and copies of the books, so between American capitalism and English imperialism, Australians who were saying things, really, I mean I'm talking about my elders, not me, who were saying things, couldn't get published. Mm -hmm. So we thought, well, we'll start our own publishing business, and uh, that's what we did out of Matthias Church.
0: When I think about a handful of books that I find myself recommending over and over and over again, and it may be the first way I was introduced to you as well, I love your book that you wrote with Tony Payne on guidance and the voice of God.
1: (laughs) Yes. What you've got to say is you love the book Tony Payne wrote.
0: Oh! You mean your name? It's a fib? Your name is on the front of that? No,
1: it's not a fib in that I read every word and agreed (laughs) with every word of it. Uh, God very graciously brought this man along, Tony Payne, who is... Just a terrific writer, a terrific person, mm-hmm. a great man of God. And I love Tony Gray. And so he would listen to my sermons and then write the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, for, we had a very good collaboration going there for 20 years or so, mm-hmm. whereby I, mean, I read one essay once, you know, in a, and I think it was in the briefing that Matthias used to produce. And as I was reading, I thought, this is very good. I agree with this, which is a very rare thing for me to agree with another author. <laughs> when I got to the end of it, I found out I was the author of it. <laughs> Tony had heard a sermon somewhere and turned it into an article and put my name on the bottom of it. And
0: Ooh, well, at least he gave you credit.
1: He gave me credit, yes, absolutely. Yeah. More credit than I yeah. deserve, is what I'd say. Because I'm a preacher, not a writer.
0: Uh, one other pe- way people may know of you without knowing it's you is the two ways to live. Yes, right? yes. Um, now, that
1: I did write without Tony.
0: You did? Okay, you wrote that. And it was
1: before I'd met Tony, yes.
0: There are plenty of church websites, um, Christian organization websites in the States who have a little section on their website about the gospel and how to know Christ, and yeah. there's a link there's right a there. There's
1: a two ways to live. Two ways, two to, ways
0: live. to live, so we appreciate that. And then you spent a lot of years as the Dean of Sydney at St. Andrew's Cathedral mm-hmm. and retired a couple of years ago.
1: So. I resigned.
0: Okay. Is that different than retiring? Oh,
1: you're retiring means you stop.
0: Okay. You're Resin- not stopped.
1: I haven't stopped. I've just resigned from that particular ministry. Yeah. And so I now work for the company called Two Ways Ministries.
0: Well, let's we're here today to talk hmm. about the book, First Timothy. But I tell you what, before we do that, I just want to talk a little maybe a little bit in general. As mm-hmm. I, I opened up saying that you You have trained a lot of Bible teachers. You've interacted both here at Moore College and just in your many roles. Are there common traps teachers typically fall into that you see over and over again that you would encourage us, don't do that, don't fall into that trap, or some things you would point us to that would help us become better Bible teachers in a general sense?
1: The common trap is that we See the Bible through the world rather than seeing the world through the Bible mm. is the common trap. Well, I drove past a church today and they've got to sign up you know, asking the big questions and the sermon this Sunday, something about uh, suffering, You know, why does God allow suffering? That's not a big question. The whole Bible's about the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not a big question. The questions we ask the atheists, not the questions mm. the atheists ask us.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. so if there is no God why do you call things evil Mm. is the big question we need to be asking Mm. why do you want to be a fool and say there is no God Mm. that is the question we need to be asking the Bible is very much more um, undermining of our culture and ourselves than we allow it to be because we we're sure we're right now we're looking for the answers in the text Mm -hmm. rather than looking at the bible says and saying hang on that's not right why does it say that and then the answer is because there's something wrong with me Mm -hmm. i went to dinner with a rabbi once and he he was complaining about the rsv and he said down the bottom of the rsv it keeps on saying the hebrew is obscure he said i want you to know the hebrew is never obscure the translator he doesn't understand it (laughs) But the Hebrews—the problem is not the Bible. The problem is the translator. And so, when I when we come to passages that are difficult, we tend to move quickly past it, or we tend to see solve the difficulty in terms of what we have already believed in, in our theological structure or our cultural patterns, rather than saying there's a difficulty here because there's something wrong in my thinking. How am I going to change my thinking now to fit in with what the Bible is saying? So I've got to look at the world through the Bible rather than the Bible through the world.
0: Well, let's dive in to First Timothy. So I noticed, Philip, when I looked online at your teaching through the book of First Timothy, mm-hmm. I found it interesting that study number one wasn't First Timothy chapter one. You began in First Timothy 3, 4 through 16. Help us understand why you made that choice.
1: Um, uh, because a Bible study is not a commentary. Um, We're not going to say everything that there is to be said on every verse and every phrase, otherwise we'll be there a long time on 1 Timothy and won't read the rest of the Bible. Uh, Furthermore, we don't have to answer every critical commentary that everybody has ever read so when you read commentaries today the poor man who's writing the commentary has had to read 30 other commentaries and then feels obliged to tell us why he disagrees with the 25 and so that's not what we're doing in preparing the uh, series i've read through the passage myself several times Mm -hmm. and generally you start at the beginning and work to the end but sometimes uh, there are parts of the book that really is the theme of the book located further on. So in Colossians, for example, the great theme of Colossians is Colossians 2, uh, 6 and 7, right? about as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. So, and once you get to that key, it opens up why he said what he did in chapter 1 and where he's going in chapter 2, 3, 4. So it's better to start in on that passage rather than work your way through. Because if you were reading it, you'd come to that within, oh, five minutes. But if you're going to teach a series over six weeks, you wouldn't come to it till the second or third week. Mm -hmm. Well, likewise, in 1 Timothy 3, he tells you why he's writing. In verse 4, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's why he's writing. So to start off at the reason for writing seems a, a sensible way of helping people understand the book as a whole.
0: And because this verse is so key to understanding the whole book, perhaps you can talk with us a little bit about these verses and help us understand some of these terms. So he's saying his goal is to teach us how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. What does it mean about how we behave?
1: It is about the way of life. It's the conduct of life that you have in the household that is in the family, in the large extended family that is God's, which is the church. But the key thing he wants to tell us about the church is the church is the pillar and buttress of truth. So the business of church is the truth of God's word. So how do we behave in this household? Because Timothy is there, Paul is not there, Timothy is charged by Paul to have certain ministries to conduct, but the letter itself is a public letter. It's not a private letter to Timothy. It's a kind of reference letter that he's got. Uh, it finishes right at the end in, in the plural, actually. You can tell right at chapter 6, Grace be with you, and your footnote in your mm-hmm. ESV tells you the Greek word is plural. It's not just Timothy. He's writing a letter that everybody can read, charging Timothy with a task of being in the church, and he's telling Timothy what to do and how to do in the Apostle's absence, this is how you conduct yourself. Uh, I think the NIV actually uses the phrase conduct rather than behave. How mm-hmm. one ought to conduct oneself inside the family.
0: And how does that relate to the next phrase where he goes on to say, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness.
1: Well, this is a this is a key for the, the whole book. This is where the gospel is in the book. And this is where most uh, people who preach or teach, race like fury through this little section because Mm. they can't understand what it's about and it doesn't fit with what they're expecting. There's a couple of things to pick up about it. Firstly is, mystery is a bad translation because it's not a translation and godliness is no better. Mm. Uh, So that confuses us. Um, See, uh, the word mystery is, is just a transliteration. They've just turned the Greek letters into English letters. Uh, The mystery in Paul's writing is the secret. Mystery always sounds mysterious and something deep and profound. It's a secret. So I have a secret at the moment. Uh, What's in my right-hand pocket is a secret to you. It's just hidden. Mm. If I pulled out what's there, you would see it. It's not mysterious. It's just a secret.
0: Or mystical.
1: It's not mystical. That's right, which mystery gives that idea. mm. The second problem is godliness. Um, I can understand how this has come about in that our godliness is moral. Uh, True religion is to visit the widows and orphans. Uh, And so our godliness is not got to do with going into a sanctuary and doing special things in a sanctuary. It is to live in the world in relationship with God. But the word godly actually is the word for religion. We don't like the word religion. In fact, there's a famous book 70 years ago about how to be Christian without being religious. Mm-hmm. We don't like the word religion, so we've got godliness. Mm. But because our God, our relationship with God is expressed morally, we've turned godliness into goodliness. Mm. We've put an extra O in there. When the key concept of godliness is relation to God, not being good. And you can see, for example, if you go over to chapter 4, where he says in verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Now, what's the opposite of irreverent, silly myths? Rather, train yourself for godliness. How is godliness the opposite of myths? It's because godliness is the gospel. The way in which we relate to God is by God's relationship to us. And so the great secret of godliness, verse sixteen, is six statements. It's kind of <laughs> like a little creed. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The first couple clearly about Jesus, you see, manifested in the flesh, which I take it is his resurrection manifestation, not mm. his incarnation. It was the, it was the in his resurrection we saw him physically for who he was so it's only when he's risen from the dead that thomas falls down and says my lord and my god we read back the incarnation and come to a a knowledge of it subsequently Uh, but the moment at which he appeared in the flesh was in his resurrection Uh, where he was vindicated by the Spirit, because in the day of Pentecost that was the great vindication, so in Acts 2 or the beginning of Romans 1. And he was seen by angels, because remember the very first people who gave testimony to Jesus were the angels. It's a very deeply, profoundly supernatural intervention in the physical, natural world. That Christianity is not this world only. It is this world because he was manifested in the flesh, but it's the other world it's a spiritual thing it's a I remember listening to um, Francis Schaeffer Francis Schaefer mm-hmm. saying that whenever he goes to university missions the first thing in the first talk he somewhere mentions angels mm-hmm. I was appalled at this idea because <laughs> uh, having done many university missions the last thing I wanted was to mention angels um, you know you feel a little odd and awkward it sounds like you believe in fairies at the bottom of your garden but his point was absolutely right and I followed his advice ever since that is When you start mentioning angels, they know you're not talking about morality. Mm. You're talking about the supernatural Mm (laughs) there. And the gospel is about the coming of God in the flesh into this world, vindicated by the spirits, seen by angels. But here's the great mystery for Paul, the great secret for Paul, that this one who was that, being proclaimed among the nations, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and believed on in the world, the one who was taken up in glory. Now, the commentator spent endless hours trying to work out how the six clauses all match. Is it three groups of two, two Mm -hmm. groups of three, six groups of one, all of which is a complete waste of time? (laughs) What you've got to do is actually understand what are the six things saying about Jesus, because that is our religion. That is our godliness. It's not about the good works I do, it's about that.
0: This seems really key to me. If I'm teaching this book, that I if if I just go with what's there, the mystery of godliness, I can immediately think, okay, the mystery of godliness. It's going to tell me how. It's a how-to, how to. How how what I'm supposed to do to be a godly person, and yet it's followed immediately not with anything about me, but no. with everything about what Christ has done That's and right. who He is.
1: I love Billy Graham. I think he's a wonderful man. But how can you write a book called How to Be Born Again? Mm. Only an American could write a book on how to be born again. Here's <laughs> what God does to us. Mm-hmm. Um, how to is the problem with our word godliness, yes. Mm-hmm. We say, okay, what do I got to do to be godly? The answer is God has made us godly through what he has done in Christ Jesus. It's mm-hmm. the exact reverse. Which, when you think about it, that's what we should have expected, isn't it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Now that, if I've understood that truth, will then tell me how to behave in, amongst God's mm-hmm. people. Because every household has its own behaviour methods. You know, my wife's family, the father, uh, my father-in-law, he, he was a Mr Fix-It, he was always fixing things. My family, my mother always fixed things. Our first two years of marriage, nothing got fixed. <laughs> as I waited for her and she waited for me. It wasn't until I worked out this conflict between us that i solve the problem by inviting my father in law to come and fix things for us you see now each household has its own ethos its own conduct well if this is the household the household of truth and that is the truth which lies at the basis of this household how then do we conduct ourselves
0: and this really helps us then if we start there yeah that then maybe in the next week we go back to the beginning okay? yes and immediately, Paul is talking to Timothy. He is warning that him against false teachers, mm-hmm. not real explicit about what their false teaching is, and yet there are certainly some ways I think we can pick up, perhaps, on, on what it is. But that really is helpful to go, okay, so the mystery of godliness, here is the truth about who Jesus is. It does help us understand a bit why he's going to start out dealing with what's right. being taught that's false.
1: Yes. But one of the problems has been, I think, in teaching this, because people haven't started at chapter 3, and Paul's explicit reason for writing, but rather started at chapter 1, and because in verse 3 he mentions Ephesus, and he mentions false teachers, people then try and scour through the book, the better ones, I may say, scour through the book to find out what false teaching was there in Ephesus. The not-so-good commentators scour through Ephesus to try and find out what false teaching could be there. And so we then make up a a situation in life to which we're going to read and understand what Paul says. But we don't know any of that. That's make-up stuff.
0: Do we need to know?
1: No. Furthermore, verse 3 is so difficult to translate that the translations all make it easy for us by telling us something that's not there. He wasn't at Ephesus. It doesn't say he was at Ephesus. What it actually says is, you remember when you were at Ephesus, this is what I told you. That's not to say... He's still at Ephesus. It's not about an Ephesian problem. But nearly every book you'll read will tell you it's all about Ephesians. And then they'll talk about Mm. Artemis and they'll talk about what the gods were like there and what the false teachers were like there. You don't need to know any of that stuff as far as I can see. And I don't think it's true of verse 3. Although, don't believe me, believe all the others because, you know, who am I? I'm just down here in the Antipodes and what would I know? But false teaching is an inherent part of the household of God. And so that's why he doesn't explicitly say they are teaching A, B, C, D. I mean, there are a few things he mentions, but A, B, C, D. It, you will always find this, Timothy. You always have to, out of your love of Christ and love of them, because you are in the household of God, which is the buttress and pillar of truth, you will always need to be contending for the faith against those who are false mm-hmm.
0: teachers. Do you think, Philip, I guess I sometimes sense that people today are very slow to want to label something as false teaching, Um, that that would be seen as arrogant, (laughs) or or it would be seen as anti-unity in the church, Um, that we should just agree to disagree about some things that are okay to disagree about. So. Yeah, help us as we seek to apply this to today.
1: Well, yes, it's it's even more so. We're hesitant to call false teaching, false teaching. We're very even more hesitant to call a false teacher, a false teacher.
0: Yeah. Are you?
1: <laughs> you see? Uh, yes, uh, I'm hesitant because uh, I recognize I don't understand everything. And, uh, you know, you've got to be very certain of what you're saying. But on the other hand, people do need to be warned that that teaching is false, and ultimately the person who is teaching it uh, will be false also.
0: What we teach really matters.
1: That's the point of 1 Timothy. (laughs) Because we are in the household of truth, the Church of Truth, then falsehood is the greatest danger that we have, and it really matters that we speak the truth. The aim of this charge, he says, um, is uh, love that's verse 5 of chapter 1, which comes from a pure heart, good conscience and sincere faith. So the integrity of the teacher is an important element because you must do it lovingly. True teaching only comes ultimately from people who are truly taught. So the convictions and character of people in the ministry of the gospel is more important than their skills and abilities. Mm character really matters because out of that can you come to love the other person whom you are going to rebuke and silence for their wayward teaching but teachers are judged with greater strictness that's part of the consequence of being a teacher
0: so here in chapter 1 Paul moves in to talking about himself a little bit
1: these teachers that he's thinking of they don't understand the law that they're making strong statements about. You see it down in verse uh, 7 or so. Mm-hmm. He then makes the point the law is good. He's not he's not renouncing the law at all. Um, and possibly the Ten Commandments lies behind 8 to 11. But the key thing about verse 11 is that the law is not contrary to the gospel. The law right, uh, rightly understood is in accordance with the gospel that has been entrusted to him. He then in verses 12 through to uh, 17 tells about how the gospel was entrusted to him. Mm-hmm. Because he's not only saved by the gospel, he's been given the ministry of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little test I have for people in their Bible teaching is to get them to fill in a blank mm. in verse 16, you see. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his... Blank. Blank, you see. Mm. As an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. Now, everybody feels in love, mercy, grace, kindness, gentleness. The text says patience. If you didn't put patience in there, you're not thinking the way the apostle thinks. Now, that's good news. Because once you recognize you're not thinking the same way he thinks, you've got a chance of changing your thinking. As long as you just shot straight past it, you're not going to change your mind. Whereas changing my mind from my error to the truth is a great blessing. So I'm full of errors. So I'm always glad to find something that I don't understand because that's a chance to develop. In the showing of mercy, God demonstrates his patience. And it's one of the themes of Paul that most of us overlook. Peter didn't because in 2 Peter 3, he says that Paul says hard things about which people twist to their own. What's the hard things that he says? It's Paul teaches about patience as he does in all his writings. Which again, people... Miss that. Mm-hmm. And when you think of his speech in Athens in Acts seventeen, again he said he talks about God's patience. His long suffering with sin has come to an end, but he now appointed a day. So God has a patience that runs from Adam through to Jesus. Right? Of which Paul is a great demonstration of God's patience with his people. But he, this little paragraph is about Paul explaining. How he who is the persecutor of the church is now preaching a gospel that is consistent with the law, as opposed to these false teachers who are imposing the law on people, not understanding the law, not understanding the gospel. And he actually names some of them in the last little paragraph there. And then he starts chapter 2, first of all, then. Chapter 1 is the introduction to the book. Mm-hmm. which commences at chapter two verse one the then is the you know, given all this background mm-hmm. then let me tell you what you should be conducting yes. yourself
0: in the household of faith in the household of faith this uh, place faith. where there yeah. is supposed to be supposed to be a bastion and the proclamation of truth Mm -hmm. let's move on then to first timothy 2 Mm -hmm. Um, so he first of all then he says in chapter 2 verse 1 i urge that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people
1: so the first part of the truth that he wants us to recognize is that we we are actually concerned for all people and so that's why it's not just prayers you know, say your prayers, mm-hmm. it's pray for kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So the prayer is prayer about the, the world as a whole, the community mm-hmm. as a whole. Mm-hmm. For, and it's not just government, it's all who are in high position, CEOs of companies, uh, university chancellors, um, judges, police, mm-hmm. whoever's in authority anywhere their responsibility is to create a quiet life and a peaceful life, religious and dignified in every way. Mm. So the total separation of church and state is not what the Bible teaches. Because the state should be creating a place in which people can be religious. Mm. And uh, that's not to say that we are to create a theocratic state of Christendom, where there's a a recognised church, But godliness, religion can be fostered.
0: And we certainly see the heart of God as we continue there, because there in verse 4... This is the key, yes. Mm -hmm.
1: Because our God is one who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Salvation involves the knowledge of truth, but it involves God, who by nature is a saviour. And his concern is not just for some, but for all. And this is a great passage of the universality of God's concern, because... And it's explained to us in verse 5, one God, one mediator. That is not just the God of Israel, he's the God of all creation and all creatures and therefore of all humans. And so his concern is for all people. Verse 5 and verse 6, uh, A, has been a memory verse of mine since childhood. Hmm. Right? As in our days we learnt memory verses every week. My favourite one as a little boy was uh, John 11. Jesus wept. It was so short. (laughs) That was all of our (laughs)
0: favourite
1: Only because it was short. No (laughs) other reason. However, uh, but this is a great verse. However, most of us leave off the first word for. Mm -hmm. Verse 5 is explaining verses 3 and 4. Why is it that God is the saviour of all? Because there is only one God for all and there is only one mediator for all. That is the man, Jesus Christ, who's given his life as a ransom for all. But then we leave off 6B because we don't know what to do with 6B. it? <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> <laughs> you see how it is that we... We read the Bible to say what we want to say Mm -hmm. already.
0: And if it's inconvenient or ununderstand, let's just lop that off. Lop it
1: off, slide (laughs) past it quickly, you see. But the testimony, which is given at the proper time, that testimony is what the gospel is all about, you see. It's been proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, is part of the gospel, that it's the intention all along. See, in Luke, when Jesus rises from the dead in chapter 24, he says... These things had to happen, must happen. The Christ suffer, the Christ rise, and the gospel be preached. Repentance of faith be preached to all nations. But as surely as Christ died and rose, gospel preaching had to happen. It's not an optional, extra, tacked-on, alternative. It's as central to the plans of God as that he appeared in the flesh and was vindicated by the Spirit. Now, verse 7 is a weird verse. Absolutely weird. Very helpful for me because when I read it, I thought that doesn't make the slightest bit of sense. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, why do you think, Nancy, that's a weird verse? Because mm. it looks very simple, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Why is it weird?
0: For this, we have to figure out for what that is. For this, I was appointed to.
1: a preacher and mm-hmm. an apostle. Well. for this, giving this this testimony at the proper time i was appointed uh a preacher and apostle Mm -hmm. i'm telling the truth i'm not lying a teacher of the gentiles in faith and truth Mm -hmm. you don't say that's weird do you
0: Mm.
1: it's all right you're supposed to say no i don't say it's weird because i like it when you're wrong you see (laughs) (laughs) because then i can show you things okay it's weird because who is he writing to he's writing to timothy my true faith child in the faith Mm -hmm. His closest protege and ally. So why is he saying to Timothy, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, I'm a teacher of the nations. Mm -hmm. If anybody knew that, it was Timothy.
0: Yes. Okay, (laughs) so why is he saying
1: that? Uh Well, that's partly because it's a public letter. Mm -hmm. It's partly because this is what's so extraordinary. The Saul, the Pharisaic Jew, could not believe that Jesus died as the one mediator for all mankind to be preached and believed on in the world. And this is an extraordinary concept. This is the secret that was hidden Mm -hmm. beforehand, which is now making clear. Mm -hmm. And this is what his work and role is. That is, Mm -hmm. we have 12 apostles if you're Jewish, but if you're a Gentile like me, you've only got one apostle. That's the Apostle Paul.
0: Mm -hmm. He's Mm -hmm. our apostle. Mm -hmm.
1: That was his role.
0: I think you're demonstrating a number of things here for us, Philip, as teachers. First of all, to just not not allow ourselves to read things flatly and go with maybe either running over them because they seem like a throwaway line or just going with what may seem obvious. I mean, you, you've asked that one little verse. There's some hard questions. Yep. But what it did, it revealed to you some incredible things that you can then share when yep. you're teaching.
1: Yep. Right? I love it when I don't understand it.
0: Most of us are so uncomfortable when we don't understand it.
1: Well, we should be because it means that we're wrong.
0: (laughs) We love to know everything.
1: I like being wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because it's only when I acknowledge and recognize I'm wrong that I've got any chance of getting right. So it's good that you don't understand, provided you don't just hold up your hands we'll forget it, and move on. Right. I've got to wrestle with it. Sometimes you wrestle for years. But it means I, when I look up the commentary, I, I know, reading a commentary can be a very dull and boring activity. But once you see where you're wrong, you know where to look in the commentary.
0: It's hard for us as teachers to get up when there's something that maybe we still haven't figured out completely and we yes. know everybody's going to ask us about it and yeah. we so want to be able to have the answer.
1: Yes, and, and that's because we haven't read 1 Timothy. Because 1 Timothy chapter 4 tells him Practice, verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Mm. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. The important thing about a teacher is that he's showing progress, not that he's arrived. If I had to arrive, I would never be able to teach the Bible.
0: Isn't that the truth? None of yeah. us would ever no. teach if we had to have had it right. all figured but out. But if
1: I can say, look, I didn't understand this week, but next week, but last week I didn't understand, but now I've I understood it. Mm. That encourages students to say, "Oh well, I'll keep going. I might understand more." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if okay, I've got the last word. This is what it is all the time. Then people say, "Oh well, I won't read the Bible. I'll mm-hmm. just go and ask him." Mm-hmm. It's called papacy. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so and instead, we come as humble learners.
1: Shepherds lead the sheep, and you go ahead of them and show them which way to go
0: mm-hmm.
1: because you are in progress. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that sets before us an, an excellent goal for our people too, right? Hmm. Not a, as we're teaching them, uh, we're not necessarily trying to make sure they have everything figured out properly, uh, but that they are in, in progress. progress. They're moving That's what forward we do. and moving forward specifically in their grasp of the mystery of godliness, That's right. the person and yep. work of Jesus Christ. In
1: America, they make progress and we make progress.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, chapter 2, you want to go on? then? Well, I don't know if I want to go on, but well, yes, I do, do want to go on yes, because, do, because this is a really challenging part for many of us. No, We're is, a little bit afraid to teach part of chapter 2. Here. This is this is the really important okay, bit. Okay, well, help Verse us. Verse 8,
1: men need to pray. That's it. Well, That's the most important bit. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of gets skipped over, doesn't it? It gets skipped over all the time. I won't say by you, but it was. Verse 8 is really important because men need need to pray and it's everywhere men need to pray mm. and men need to pray because the principal verb is prayer the esv's right here the niv was terribly wrong it's not about lifting hands it's about men praying that's what it's about see the niv used to translate it um i want men everywhere to lift holy hands in prayer
0: ah, and the emphasis got on the hands and it got on the lifting the yes
1: <laughs> not on the holy
0: well, why would he say without anger or quarreling? Because that's,
1: that's what makes them holy. Mm. Unholy hands are do, fists.
0: But do men tend to pray in anger? Or uh, do men I mean, don't is that pray. something that was going on? Men there? don't
1: pray in anger. They don't pray. They just get angry. So, James chapter 4, what causes fights, what causes wars amongst you, you do not have because you do not ask. Mm. And when you ask, you ask to spend on your passions, you see. And so the, 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 the lifting of a hand is a fist in men men uh, testosterone drives us to aggression and that's our yeah. normal place you said no, no men must be holy and so we lift hands not unholy hands fists but holy hands that is not quarreling not angry mm. but asking god for everything
0: mm. as now, we're teaching that we almost need to show them right there's this fist yeah. lifted up at god yeah. or this holy hand that's lifted right. up in prayer
1: that's right the, the dependent beggar's hand yeah <laughs> now I want to ask, but I haven't got the answer and when I meet Paul I'll I'll ask, but I suspect then I won't need to. Is this because it's a special ministry of men? Or is it because men are particularly weak at doing this that he puts this verse in? You you're not told. I can think of several reasons because it could be it's interesting in churches how often we get women to lead in prayer. That's a fascinating thing. And when you're in a mixed group, very often it's the women who will lead in prayer, not the men. And often I've had women come to me saying, Philip, my, my, you know, my husband doesn't ever lead us spiritually at home because he never leads us in prayer. So is it a weakness amongst men? Is it a particular ministry of men? I don't know, but it's one of the very few verses that speaks about men as men. Yeah. Not men as humans, but men as men. Yeah. And yet most people don't see prayer as masculinity. Well, prayer is dependence whereas mm-hmm. men are to be independent. Mm-hmm. Well, no, men's true masculinity is found in their dependence
0: mm-hmm.
1: and in their unity in prayer together.
0: When well, we go on to verse 9. Oh, that's Interesting, interesting. likewise. So we have to figure yeah. out why that likewise means, right? Because now he's going to speak to women.
1: Yeah, in the same way as men reflect uh, the mystery of godliness, mm-hmm. By their prayer everywhere mm-hmm. women reflect the mystery of godliness in adorning themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control not with braided hair gold pearls now you see the funny word there is self-control isn't it mm. how do you dress yourself in self-control what does that mean you've got to keep going but with proper what is proper for women who profess look at that word
0: mm-hmm Godliness. Mm-hmm.
1: And then he tells you how to do it. With good works. Mm-hmm. Now the word self-control is a key word in uh, 1 2 Timothy. It occurs quite a few times there and nowhere else in the New Testament much. It means governed by wisdom. Mm. Right? You, you, you know, wise up. This is what older women are to teach younger women, mm-hmm. is to wise up. Mm-hmm. And so this self-control. See, women are to adorn themselves with good works. Not with all this other stuff, but mm-hmm. with good works. Mm-hmm. That's how they do it, do it themselves. How do you want to be known? Mm. What is the reputation that you want about yourself? Well, you know, she's the little bimbo, bimbo or she's the, the athletic looking girl who's mm. always wearing her... her uh, uh, no, no. The Christian woman, one, she's the woman who's always doing good works. Mm. That is the reputation. Now, how do you get that reputation? You're going to decide that. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what you need to do to be able to decide that. Verse 11, you must learn. That's how. See, the principal mm-hmm. verb of verse 11 is learn.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, most people race on to verse 12 about teaching. It's actually about learning. Mm-hmm. How can you make decisions about yourself? How can you be wise and ruled by wisdom? if you've never learned. Mm-hmm. And so, in other religions, the women don't have to learn anything. They're just told what to do. But in Christianity, under the Bible, women have to make the decisions about themselves, which comes out of learning the very truth of God. Not learning in order to teach, verse 12 following.
0: Mm.
1: Right? Because that's, that's Eve's problem, uh, being deceived and so on. and that, that that's, mm-hmm. she, She's got to learn with... Submissiveness and quietness. Mm-hmm. Because that's the Christian way of learning. That's not just a woman's way of learning, that's a Christian mm-hmm. way of learning. <laughs> we we see submissiveness, the quiet life back in verse two. What are we praying for? We're praying that women are like a quiet life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a normal way. We're to submit to one another. Submission is the normality of the spiritual life. It's not assertiveness, it's not power grumbling. Mm-hmm. That's not just women, that's men as well, mm-hmm. that we are not to be like that. Mm-hmm. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the very exemplar of submission mm-hmm. and submissiveness. And so she's to learn quietly, not at all meaning to learn in order to exercise authority over man, that, that's not what it's about. <laughs> mm-hmm. But verse 12 is the qualification of what would be wrong, not the main reason of the teaching. The main reason of the teaching is verse 9 to 11, as can be seen when he picks it up again in verse 15. So we saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control.
0: Let me see if I understand what you're saying. Whereas we can tend to make the whole of this passage about verse 12, mm. like it's the main point. Yep. And I think what I hear you saying is that's almost a descriptive or supportive phrase. Yep. when the point is about adorning ourselves that's right. with self- control you yeah, got it right? yep oh.
1: and the reason we make 12 the main point is because it's, it's so our issue. to our culture it's yeah. our issue
0: <laughs> we're coming to the Bible and we want we yeah. want first Timothy to answer the question that's important to us That's right. and I think I hear you saying that um perhaps we're in error when we push that that's too right. hard because yeah. that's not the point it's not the point but it is there. Oh, of course, it's there. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, the whole wrong of the feminist agenda is that it's all about assertiveness, my rights, uh, establishing my authority, my power, asserting my rights, asserting self uh, power, authority. That's not the Christian way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, that kind of feminism which is. Ninety-nine percent of feminism uh, is Mm anti-Christian.
0: So, as you're teaching this passage, Philip, and you come to the end, and let's say you're in your preparation and you're thinking through, maybe I don't know exactly how you do always do preparation, but we might think about what are some questions I would ask those I'm teaching to get to the appropriate application of these verses. What might you ask both the men and women in an effort to apply this passage when you come out of it?
1: I don't believe in applying it.
0: You don't apply it? No. What do you mean by that?
1: If you explain it, it is applicatory.
0: You think? Yeah.
1: Because once you apply it, you move into the Mishnah category. Okay, this mm-hmm. is what it says. Now let me tell you the rules and regulations that flow from it.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're after, I'm after the heart of a I'm woman. Heart.
1: You understand this, you'll do the right thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And if...
1: Um, but nearly all your questions, you know, well, does that mean I can, can lead I a this? Bible can study? I can yeah. I do that? That's Pharisaism. Uh. I've understood it. Now, where's the loophole? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And my response by telling you the rules, okay, you're allowed to preach, but only if there's less than 10% male in the congregation or you're allowed to preach once but not regularly or allowed to, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's Judaism. That's,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's where, the, yeah. the, spirit of, the Spirit takes the Word of God and puts it in the heart of the person who wants to obey it. That's what Jesus is about in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what Ezekiel is promising us and Jeremiah is promising us. Now, if they come back and say, but what about? Well, then I'll yes. answer them, but what about? But so I'm the way them. you're
0: challenging me is to be a teacher who trusts God to work through his word and not sense that as a teacher I have to spell everything out yep. for God to work through his word right. in the hearts and lives that's of right. those who are
1: listening. Yep, and especially... And it often means that people see and apply to them in ways that I would never have thought. (laughs) You know, as soon as I say, well, this means X, then A, B, and C is not included.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Word of God opens all kinds of people up differently on different things. Mm -hmm. If I can get them to understand what it is itself saying, they will need to make the decisions as to what they do.
0: I think I'd be asking myself... If you profess godliness, is it exhibited yeah. by your modesty? Is it yeah. exhibited by the way you control your tongue, the way you Present control yourself. Your, so many other things? That's right. Yeah.
1: What, what would be my reputation amongst friends and enemies and
0: things? What are they going to say about me? Mm-hmm. Well, before leaving this passage... Perhaps you can help us with yep. the... We have another four that comes up here. Yeah, Right 13. here in, in yep. verse 13. Yep. Help us when we're teaching it that, how to make yep. the connection with creation yep. and what he has just said.
1: For those of us who've only got our English Bibles, the ESV is a wonderful translation um, uh, in, its re- in its retaining of the word for. And uh, you know, these a great translation, but one of its great weaknesses is it keeps leaving that word out. Because in English... The word for is a soft word, but it often means in Greek, because, which is a very strong word. And so what we've done in modern English is have lots of little short sentences, whereas in Greek there's long sentences with what are called subordinate clauses. And one sentence is explained in the next sentence. And so uh, the for of verse 13 uh, demonstrates that what he's talking about there is an explanation that, that what lies behind verse 12. So 13 and 14 are the explanation of verse 12. That is, that the reason he makes the kinds of statements he does about the authority and not exerting authority and teaching is because in creation, God has not created the woman to be the teacher of the man, and in fact, in sin, it was the very activity of the woman teaching the man that sin came into the world. So that using teaching to reverse the order of creation is a fundamental error. Now, that means most of these discussions about uh, a cultural background in Ephesus mm-hmm. are completely wrong. They're just not reading the text. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you can save yourself a lot of time reading innumerable books on women and men uh, by reading a couple of verses of the Bible. Actually, because it's desperate explanations to avoid what the text is saying because what the text is saying is uncomfortable in 21st century life. Well, 21st century life is disastrous, so why would I want to follow it? You know, it's like going to Hollywood to find out what marriage is about or what Mm. sex is about. I mean, which part of Hollywood knows what marriage and family relationships are about? You know, they they have got a complete unmitigated disastrous lifestyle in their sexual relationships, but we want
0: them to tell us what it's about. Now go to the Bible and see what it says. Mm-hmm. How about verse fifteen? Yet she will be saved oh. through childbearing. Which
1: day of the week it is? It depends on how I now understand this verse. Okay, so well that
0: helps us. That helps us a little bit to realize yeah. that maybe you go back and forth. No, and I go back not... and
1: forth. I would like it to say...
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Bible according to Fred Jensen. I would
1: like it to say saved according to the birth of the child.
0: Because that
1: would take me back to Genesis 3.15 and the role of women, which fits in with the context of creation and Adam and Eve. So her role in salvation was not to be the teacher of Adam, but was to be the provider of the son.
0: Oh, that 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 helps us. That's very clear. That would be really good indeed. (laughs)
1: But I understand for the Greek experts that that is unlikely, which is a bit rotten, isn't it? But possible.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yes.
1: More likely, what it means, is not that she'll be saved through childbearing, that is, she'll never die in childbirth, Mm -hmm. but rather her role is not the role of being the teacher of the household. Her role is to be the mother of the household.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I also... I'm thinking about you, though you, you. And that's not to
1: say every woman has to have a baby. Okay, know, to be well, saved. that's what
0: I'm getting at, because some people could think if you say that, well, yeah, that's not going to fly <laughs> to the people I'm teaching, and yet I know from all of the years that you spent in the heart of Sydney at the cathedral, and perhaps even more than that on this college campus, that you know you would get a lot of pushback if it sounds like you're saying okay ladies just go home and have children and that's really what it's all about well I don't care
1: about pushback That's neither here nor there Um, the the, the question is what is the text saying childbearing is part of why God has created a binary humanity he's created as male and female that we may multiply and fill the earth that is part of the created order of God. Now I'm either going to take the Bible's view of creation or I'm going to make up another one. But that's what it was about. And so when it comes to the godly widow in chapter 5, verse uh, 10, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, shown hospitality, wash the feet of saints, care for When it talks in Titus 2 about women, again it is uh, older women are to teach younger women what is good And so train younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Mm -hmm. Now, by no means does that mean uh, that the woman does no economic involvement in society and the rest. Proverbs 31 blows that straight out of the idea. But that her, her desire for children, or her life of children, is not to be ever put down to be just a mother. As soon as you hear that word just, you need to go cut your tongue out. Motherhood is one of the great things of life, and the experience I've had of people is that women want to be mothers with a passion that is quite extraordinary. Now, I know there are many girls who don't want to be, but over time, when motherhood is no longer a possibility, the grief is quite intense. And that can be seen in the enormous lengths people in their late 30s, early 40s go to in order to have a child through IVF or whatever it might be. The, the, the heartache of the infertile is massive. I, hardly anybody I know suffers quite as much as the woman who wants to have children and can't have children. It's, that's one of the most painful things it's part of the fall that we are like that and it's very tragic and sad when that happens but so many women have made a choice early in life under the pressure of feminism to put aside having children till later in life when very often they're unable to do so and go through terrible tragedy and sadness because they've not seen that having children is a great blessing of god it's really hard work I don't underestimate it for a moment it's really hard work and in the previous generations really dangerous as well because of the number of women and children dying in childbirth I mean we live in a very extraordinary age but having children is a great blessing of God and a terrific satisfaction and fulfilment in life and we are meant to Mm. that's that's, that's, now not every woman has to have babies I'm not saying that Mm -hmm. Um, but it
0: comes at a cost. Well, I'm afraid our time is getting go. away from us here, Philip, and we've only gotten through the first couple of chapters. I, exactly. I, <laughs> I just wonder if there's any, anything more general as we approach uh, the rest of the book. Would you help us if we're thinking about um, teaching through the book of First Timothy? Is there Anything that comes to mind that is essential as we continue to work our way through this text that you would want to share with us?
1: Once you grasp that it's about the gospel of godliness, Mm -hmm. there's a call here, you start to see, and and that is contrary to the misteaching of the law of these people who don't know what they're Mm -hmm. talking about. It actually is consistent with the law. Then you start to see... Other passages fall into place. Like ah. chapter four, there's the ascetics who deny creation. Creation is mm-hmm. part of the law. Remember, it's Genesis mm-hmm. the, the laws of the Torah, the first five books. And these great, there are people who follow the silly myths rather than godliness, mm-hmm. because and it's about this life and the life to come. So godliness in four eight is that famous verse about. It's a value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come, mm-hmm. because bodily training is for this world, but godliness training is for this world and the next. And so, a lot of the instructions then are about this world. For example, in the chapter five about the widows, or chapter six about money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Chapter six is anti the uh, prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is false teaching and those who teach it are false teachers. Uh, And it has ruined the gospel ministry around the world, especially in in poor countries. It is a wickedness to teach the prosperity gospel. Chapter 6 is dead set against it. And you'll notice the false teachers there in chapter 6 verse 10, they do not teach that which is accord with godliness because they think godliness is... Verse 5, is a means of gain. You see, godliness is religion, is the gospel. How can the gospel be a means of gain? Well, tele-evangelists. It's, it's mm-hmm. classic. The gain that we're supposed to gain in the gospel, uh, uh, financially, is contentment. We brought nothing mm-hmm. into this world, we take nothing mm-hmm. out of this world. Mm-hmm. Now, my American brothers and sisters, of which you are one, you see, You have a break problem because your whole culture is so capitalistic.
0: Yes. Even our Christian culture
1: can be. Oh, yeah. No, no, even our Christian can be. It is.
0: It is. All right. (laughs) It is. It is. You're
1: living in it so can't see it. Yeah. You'll see Australians more clearly than I will Mm -hmm. because you're an outsider. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, that's a very strange thing. Whereas I don't think it's strange at all. It's obvious. (laughs) I see Americans more clearly than you do. Mm -hmm. Capitalism rots the church. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying socialism is any better. I'm just saying both capitalism and socialism are materialistic philosophies. So neither of them are Christian. But I know some of your American friends who are listening at this point think, oh, this man's off the planet. And, you know, how can capitalism be wrong? You know, this is haven't we won the great fight against communism and the rest of it? And I'm glad you have and the rest and capital but capitalism is a materialistic philosophy of life. And chapter six is against it. The book tells you lots and lots there's wonderful parts to it.
0: So to close us, Philip, would you just speak directly to us as teachers? We, we are people who, as you've spoken up, are uh, teachers in progress. And we have a heart to really want to get better at this teaching the Bible. So speak to us. Maybe we're preparing to teach First Timothy. Uh, heading into a study, uh, just a word of perhaps encouragement or instruction as we begin our work in 1 Timothy so we can teach it well to others.
1: Our loving Father, who is the Savior of all and desires all to come to know the truth, has spoken to us by his Spirit inspiring the Apostle to write this letter, that which is for our very best welfare and interest, both in this life and the age to come. So the key to teaching the Bible anywhere in this passage, in this book in particular, is to have confidence that what's being said there is the very best way to live and the best thing for us to know, whatever it says. And so, take it at its word is taking God at his word and trying to find ways in which to change in accordance with his word, rather than just to confirm ourselves in what we're already doing. Look for it as the opportunity for God to say things to us that will be different to what we expect, and will challenge us to change. Um, And don't be afraid because the one who's changing us by his word is our Heavenly Father who loved us so much as to send his Son to die for us and rise again.
0: Thank you so much, Philip.
1: Pleasure's mine.
0: You've been listening to Help Me Teach the Bible with Nancy Guthrie, a production of the Gospel Coalition, sponsored by Crossway. Crossway is a not-for-profit publisher of the ESV Bible, Christian books and tracts, including 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus volume by Brian Chapel in the Preaching the Word commentary series. Crossway is also the publisher of a book called Preach the Word, Essays on Expository Preaching in Honor of Kent Hughes, and Philip Jensen has an essay in that book. Learn more about Crossway's gospel-centered resources at crossway.org.